I feel like I'm, I'm working for myself and having that entrepreneurial side, yes. you get what you give it is really satisfying. I think a lot of people, that first move and, and having a leap of faith in yourself to do that is, is a hard decision for anyone to do. And a lot of times, I think second careers are driven by necessity rather than whimsy. And there was that element for my decision too. I, I had to be honest, with, introspective with myself. I'm like, you know what? You're not enjoying this. Why go through middle age? Just carrying on like this. You've got one life. Do something that you enjoy and you can be successful at and have the confidence and courage of your convictions to kind of take that leap of faith in yourself. Born and raised in the UK, Rob Johnson has worked in London, New York City, Sydney, and Hong Kong. He was in finance, a successful, highly compensated broker for almost 20 years when he decided this isn't what I want for the rest of my life. It's not my purpose. Rob and his wife, Katie, live in Riverside, Connecticut with their three kids. And Katie one day said to Rob, stop complaining. Not in such nice terms, he says, and make a change. So whatever Katie said, it worked. Fast forward to now, almost 10 years later, Rob is crushing it as a top producer real estate agent in the luxury market of Greenwich, Connecticut. In this episode, he talks to me about how to break in to such a desirable, high-end, commission-based business and how to stay at the top. Rob recently invested in a mobile office that's apparently wildly popular with his clients. And you'll get nuggets of wisdom in this one from a worldly professional who says he's never been more content. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Rob. Welcome to Bucketless Careers. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. You are yet another reason why I love Mandy DeMarzo <laughs> for <laughs> putting us in touch. And I'm curious, do you do her Burn by Mandy workouts? I'm sure you didn't think I was going to be quizzing you on your... I didn't think that would be the first <laughs> yeah. question. Whether you're in shape or not, but do you do her stuff? When I was helping her sell her house about a couple of years ago, she would drag me down to this boxing class. It was under the Starbucks off on Greenwich Avenue, if anyone's local to around here. And she basically kicked my ass for an hour along with two other guys. <laughs> I think she'd already worked out at five, saw me, and then oh, totally. And then had another two classes after me, but I was done for like two days after that. So I did that for a couple of weeks, and that was the last time. But she keeps giving me stick uh, not doing it. She's given up for a while, thank God. Totally. She's too hardcore for me. She is a fitness queen, but she also knows a lot of great people and, and she yes. introduced me to you. And she she was so right in the sense that your narrative is perfect for the show. You have a career journey in which you did a 180 from finance to real estate. There's so much more to it than that, of course. We like to, on this show, dig into your mindset. If you had any pivotal moments the real story behind your resume. And we'll get to all that, but let's dial it back to your origins. I know you were born and raised in the UK. You've lived and worked all over the globe. Why don't you walk us through your early career choices? So when I left college, I got a job at a uh, derivatives broker in the early 90s. And that took me from London to Australia, to Hong Kong, back to London, and then to the US. Were you always a numbers guy? What was it about finance and becoming a broker that really initially lured you in? The Wall Street umbrella covers a million jobs. So not everyone that works on Wall Street is a mathematical type analytical person. The, the roles that I had were more salesmen. So I'd be selling derivative products and introducing and brokering them between big institutions. So it was kind of more of a sales role rather than a number crunching role. 
So you did have that self-awareness then early on that you were a people person who should be in sales. It doesn't sound like it is from the beginning, but it was actually more transferable than from the, from the outset. What was it, though, that led you to stop doing what you were doing and say to yourself, this isn't working for me. This doesn't light me up. Was there a moment? Was there a conversation? Or did you feel like it was an evolution over a couple of years? I've been doing it for around 19, 18 or 19 years, as I said, in lots of different places. I've had a great time. I've been very fortunate with the product that I was involved in, and it was pretty well paid for a while. Mm-hmm. And after 08, the downturn in 08, I was involved in credit derivatives, which started to become less popular and more regulated. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the guys that I, that I used to work with are still doing it, so it still exists. I felt like it was starting to be the law of diminishing returns. Mm. And I was doing it for the paycheck. I didn't really love it after, that, after doing it for that long. So <laughs> I got home one day and my wife said, okay, you got two choices. You either don't come home anymore and, and complain or you do something completely different. So she actually used slightly different terminology uh-huh. to that. But the, <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to stop complaining about going into the city and commuting and doing this every day. So I'm going to think of something different to do and something that I enjoy that I can build and work for myself. So initially, I started working with a really high-end custom builder who built a house for me back in 08. I worked with them for a while. I was learning from the ground up about building and spec projects. And I thought that was going to be what I ended up doing, partnering with them. Mm. Once we had some products to sell, we were disappointed with the service that we got from realtors. So we all became licensed to sell our own product. It would cheapen it up our transaction costs, and we thought we could do a better job ourselves. As soon as I started doing that, I realized that I really liked it, and and I kind of went off on that tangent, and it grew really quickly from there. So that's, in a nutshell, how it happened. I see. So you had some experience in local construction and investment projects, and then that played a role in your professional evolution, but you thought you could do it better. I thought when I started doing it, it'll just be part of what I do. But then as soon as I started doing it, I realized to do it properly, to do it well, you have to do it full time. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it. And it was at a time in the market where our real estate market, the high-end suburban real estate market, wasn't that great. It wasn't performing that well. So the other aspect of the decision was, hey, do I put money to work here in more projects that I have some downside on? Or do I concentrate on building a business that is commission-based and basically risk-free? So I thought I would do a balance. And then as soon as I started doing it, I just did it 100% the brokerage side. And you were selling high-end luxury real estate in Greenwich. How was that in the beginning? Was it tough to get started? I I know you've been doing it now for more than a decade, but tell us about the growth in the beginning. I would say there's two things with this industry. The best thing about it is there's zero barriers to entry. Mm. It's the worst thing about it is there are zero barriers to entry. So um, <laughs> one of the it, it's very easy to for anyone to get licensed. All anyone from New York City, I think there are over thirty thousand agents in in New York City, for example. There's a thousand in Greenwich. All these high end towns are they have a lot of licensees, but they don't have very many people that treat it as a full time job and a business. Is that right? What do you think the percentage is, if you had to guess? I would say less than 10% of us do most of the volume. Huh. Okay. So I would say that the top 30 agents in our town out of 1,000 people, and I'm sure the numbers are the same for LA or Palo Alto or New York, the people that do the most business, it's a reasonably small percentage. And, and it's a reasonably small percentage of people that treat it like a career and a, you know, and a vocation. So that was the differentiator for you? Or one of. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we were disappointed when we were building stuff and using some other agents. We felt like you're dealing with expensive products 
I couldn't think of any other industries where people would half-ass it with those type of clients, with those type of numbers. Say if you looked at personal wealth management, or if you were going to go and buy a really expensive car or a piece of art or anything sort of luxury, inverted commas, real estate seems to me like the only industry where people can jump in and give you advice on things that really aren't doing it all the time and aren't necessarily fully committed to what they do. Like you would never give your money to a financial advisor that worked in, in that way. So why, why should you sell to a lot of people their most, their most expensive asset, help them buy or sell that with someone that was, wasn't doing the same? That was how I approached it and how I built it up. I, th- I would say the hardest thing for people that get, if they're thinking about doing this, the hardest thing is that initial year or two and the burnout from getting licensed to throwing yourself into it and getting the plane off the ground, so to speak, that's difficult. Yeah. It was easier for me because I actually had some product to sell. So that kind of helped me transition into building up a visible profile in, in my market. And then it kind of went from there. But it, for a lot of people, that those first few transactions, especially on the listing side, which is the most visible part of it, mm-hmm. it's difficult to get people to pitch and give you those jobs if you're starting from scratch. You were named the number one agent in the state in recent years. You made top 50 in the country. Congrats on killing it. So you have spoken to how you got started and why you think going full-time, giving it your all like that was, was singular. But what about now, now that you're more established? You did send me a very fun video with your mobile <laughs> office, <laughs> yeah. which I definitely want to explain to people. It looks like somewhat of a game changer. But how are you setting yourself apart to stay at the top of your game? It's really about multiple different things. And it it differs slightly if you're on the listing side or if you're on the buy side. And my business is 50-50, I would say. It seems to be every year. It's just the way that it pans out. I think to remain visible, it has to be a listing dominated business. And then you get, and then buyers come from that. But helping either side of that transaction be informed, being fair, being a good communicator, really being there for people. If it's 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, much to my family's chagrin, if a call comes in, I'm going to answer it. It's very unusual if I miss a call that I'm not back to that person very quickly. And that's important to people. I have a couple of people that work for me now, Lisa and Kerry, who are awesome. They're both licensed. Kerry helps me more with marketing and PR, and Lisa helps me more with the transactional and showing side. So I can legitimately tell my clients, if your house is for sale, it's never going to miss a showing because one of us is busy. You're going to have regular updates on what's happening with your house, where it's been featured, where it's marketed. And then after you go to contract, you're going to have the three of us helping you get you from contract to close. And making it more as the business built, carrying on with that level of service and being systemized about it is hard to, uh, to do because scaling, scaling the business is difficult because it's really, a lot of it comes from personal branding. So you have to make sure that you hang on to the reason why people are using you without transferring the important parts of that role. Sure. And tell us about the mobile office. We can't not talk about that. (laughs) Well, it only spoke to me because I remember driving around to all these houses with the kids and it not being the easiest thing to juggle. So you've got Netflix in there. I mean, paint the picture. Yeah, it was something that a Sprinter van, basically, that I bought this year. And there's a company out in in Ohio in the Midwest called Ultimate Toys. So that's their their free plug. Apropos. Yeah, they, they do these fully converted Sprinter vans and I... I can't even remember where I saw it first, but I thought, you know what, that's a cool idea for as a differentiator. One of the things that, like going back to what I was saying before, 
a lot of agents treat commission checks as a treat the business like a, a pinata and they're just bashing it all the time and they don't really put much money back into a lot of agents not all obviously and um, don't put much money back into their business mm-hmm. so i thought it was a good way to show that i'm doing that mm. it would help me be more efficient if i'm in between appointments i don't use it every day but when i do if i have a driver i Mm-hmm. I can work from there and get in between appointments and stop me getting another ticket for being on my phone while I'm in the car. When I have buyers <laughs> out, it's useful, especially if they have younger children. The kids can be kind of occupied with that process while the parents concentrate more on me showing them, pointing out on the street, which has to sold where over the years. And also, like you said, I've got a big screen in there that we can use to look at the MLS and comps while they're you know in between showings. Kids can watch TV and, and stay there and not be a distraction while the parents are looking at houses, if that's what people want to do. There's a bathroom in the back there and a fridge. So if people, especially, I thought if COVID carried on, some owners are sensitive about people using their bathroom in their houses. So they don't have to, they don't have to do like a 20 minute diversion to Starbucks to use the bathroom and do all that. So (laughs) it's a slightly better, hopefully efficient use of time. I mean, they're, they're expensive, but I can also use it for my own family as well. One of the downsides of the business is that I, I tend to work seven days a week. I don't take many vacations. So the time that I do spend with my family, my, I've got three kids at high school. Mm-hmm. I can use it to invite friends and clients to tailgates or to take them on. I did a golf trip to Long Island to a course about 90 miles away last month. And I don't drink, but anyone else that wants to drink, they don't have to drive. And just, you know, it's, there's a lot of like fun extra things. Nice. How about a little wine tasting tour? I like that idea. <laughs> it's creative. Well, take take clients to, um, I haven't done it yet, but I was going to take some clients to a concert next month in Brooklyn. Nice. There's lots of like entertainment things, both for work and it's fun for family now and again. I got my, all my kids play a lot of sports. So if we're down at a lacrosse tournament or a football game, it's kind of fun. Tell me what key advice takeaways you have for listeners on achieving your purpose career-wise. Do you feel... You were meant to do this? Yes, I think having, and you must have all your guests. I was looking at your content when we were first introduced and a lot of your guests are probably in the same mold where they probably had careers before and now they're they're working for themselves. Hmm. And I think that part of it is important for me too. I can't imagine working in a nine to five job anymore. I'd be working less hours. I work much more hours right now for myself, but I enjoy it. I mean, I answer to my clients and to the brokerage that I work for. I feel like I'm I'm working for myself and having that entrepreneurial side. Yes. You get what you give it is really satisfying. I think a lot of people that first move and and having a leap of faith in yourself to do that is is a hard decision for anyone to do. And a lot of times, I think second careers are driven by necessity rather than whimsy. And there was that element for my decision too. I, you know, I, I had to be honest, introspective with myself. I'm like, you know what? You're not enjoying this. Why go through middle age of just carrying on like this? You've got one life. Do something that you enjoy and you can be successful at and have the confidence and courage of your convictions to kind of take that leap of faith in yourself. 100%. And the reward too, I would imagine. Obviously, flexibility, as you said, the balance. But also helping people find their forever home, that must mean something too at the end of the day. Yeah, it's great to when you've helped someone. I mean, it's the, the market's changed a lot in the last year or two. But if you can help someone navigate, more, more recently it's been more relevant, yeah. competitive situation and give them the edge on a tactic to negotiate buying a house, for example, where they've been extremely frustrated 
before in, you know, oh, we're never going to find a house. Helping them alleviate that stress in that part of their life is nice. There's so many great people out there. I meet people that I would never meet otherwise uh, from all walks of life. I mean, Greenwich is a wealthy town. So people think that it's all 20,000 square foot mansions on five acres. It's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's much more diverse than that. I mean, the average cost is very high. It's big. Yeah, but I deal with a really broad range of people. I'll help some people, some older clients. I'll be helping. I might be helping their kids, get them a rental. One of the things that I try and stress if I do, when I've done a deal, I'll give clients a Rolodex of contacts in the town, which could be anything. Not, it's not just real estate related. So it could be, you know, doctors or dentists or restaurants or, you know, whatever it is. Being a constant resource for any questions that they have is a great way to stay in touch with people. But it's also really helpful to them. So kind of being that resource, especially initially, is pretty satisfying. And maintaining those connections and being part of the community. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast. This went way too fast. Where's the best place to follow you? Instagram? I know you're on social. So where's the best place to follow? Yeah, Rob Johnson Greenwich on Instagram is probably the main one. My website is robjohnsongreenwich.com. Some of the content goes to Facebook and LinkedIn as well. If you're, if you're more of a stats person, the LinkedIn thing is probably, I do more of that on LinkedIn, but the visual stuff is all on Instagram. All right. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob Johnson. We really enjoyed having you on the show. Be well. Thank you very much. So do you know someone who's killing it in the career space and made a change, something that brought them closer to their professional purpose? Well, then definitely email me or find me on social media at Bucketless Careers. My email is Krista at BucketlessCareersPodcast.com. Let's get him or her on the show. We'll have another episode for you next Wednesday. Thanks as always for listening and be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.